edition of the Watershed podcast. We're recording in December, obviously, yes. and the end of the year has <laughs> come around and smacked me. <laughs> no. Smacked the voice out of you? Yeah. And made you all croaky? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Need what, a, need where a are we break. today? We're in the cinema. Where are we? Yeah, where are we? We're, we're actually in the cinema today yeah. for a change. Can't say it was our choice. No. It's pesky events keep booking up the conference spaces. At least it kind of feels fitting, though, to be recording the cinema podcast. Oh, what, in, in a cinema? In a cinema. For yeah. a change. This is, yeah, the January podcast. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs> Health and good tidings to you all. <laughs> um, joined this month, as ever, by the other Steph. Hello, Steph I'm other Steph. Graham. Steph Graham. From our communications department. Mm-hmm. And we're also joined this month by Nathan Hardy. Hello, hello. I don't know how croaky I am for the croaky You've podcast. You've just got genuine vocal fry, I think. It's just who yeah. I am. Yeah, that's, I, that's in built. That's not a December happening, I think. Can I just say that was a really good and confident It was a good hello. 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 Oh, it's sorry. like the Mark Strong ad they used to play in View to tell you to turn your phones off. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Like, hello. It's quiet. Yes, something like that. Yeah. Please turn your phone off for the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Unless I'll, you're I'll, listening on your phone, in which case, please keep Oh, it. yeah. Please <laughs> like and subscribe and keep your yeah. phones on <laughs> for the rest of the podcast. Nathan is a Bristol-based film critic. He also does a segment on Bristol City FM radio. And this year, well, last year, if you listen to this in Jan, it was part of the Am I calling this right? The LFF Critics Mentorship Program. Yeah, so that went sounds up to it. London Film Festival. Yeah, first time experience at the film festival, and I was there under two critics, Imon Woman and Akia Gyamfi. I really hope I'm pronouncing them right, otherwise they'll come for me. I yeah, so. doubt they listen. <laughs> You'll be fine. It was me and five other fantastic new emerging critics going around interviewing people, writing stuff down about films, uh, generally just getting that London Film Festival experience. Nice. Well, we'll come on to some of the films you watched there later. We met in a lot of queues in those <laughs> morning screenings at Picture Central. As croaky then as we are now, yeah, you know, just yeah. having to get up for it's 8.30 screening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, four back-to-back starting at eight. Nathan, what were your top films of 2023? Quick fire. Quick fire. Five. Okay. Uh, 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 so... May, December. That was one that I heard you discuss on the December one. Mm. Um, That's currently my film of the year. As you said, recorded in December, so it's always subject to change. But um, I'm I'm standing by that as one of those where it had the right balance of dark, Mm. comedy, uh, drama, specifically melodrama. Big fan of that. Mm. Uh, Past Lives, that was... I I watched it twice in the cinema, cried both times. (laughs) Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, because I actually sat through that and if you can get me to sit down for three and a half hours and be engaged so then you deserve a top five passages um, oh, yeah. we, we forgot about passages last time maybe that should have been in there it's a special mention this? for me but yeah yes. passages there's something about trios that I seem to really mm. like for past lives and May December of like just and, and passages yeah mm. all these three, three oh my God, three films yeah three tri- <laughs> triptych of just like 
their relationship together. And one we'll be discussing today, uh, if it counts, poor things. That doesn't count. That comes out in 2024. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> go on, Fine. Slide another. <laughs> I will go with polite society then. Oh, classic. That From nice. Bristol-based filmmaker. Niedermanns. Yes, I watched it here with the Q and A, and it was enlightening to hear the process and also the the influences that I really caught, like uh, kind of John Carpenter and some of the martial arts stuff. I, I, I love that film. It was a great debut. So how's that for a top five? Are, are we... So I think we can... Yeah. Seal of approval. It's got yeah. s- okay. a stamp. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. You're, well, you're allowed on the podcast. Yeah, now. you're allowed Amazing. to I'll, I'll... Yeah, I was on the fence after the Doctor Who comments before we started recording. Oh, God. <laughs> There's no need to help me on this podcast if we're, if we're only talking about film as a, a Doctor Who fan. But Well, li- listen, I'm going to stand in it as well. I'm, I'm going to be a, TV one could say a Whovian. Oh. Oh. Okay. Have you, have you seen that they've branded it like the Hooniverse? Now? Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it's like, I think, okay, Disney are, have been talking to BBC anyway. There's going to be more Who content and it's yes. going to be all different and it's going to be spin-offs and spin-offs and it's going to go on forever. And you know what? I'm going to be here for it for at least the next (laughs) few years before I also get Marvel kind of fatigue. It's coming, but, you know, for now, I'll just sit back and enjoy the ride. In other, dare I say, better TV news. (sighs) All right. I just started the the new Benny Safdie one, The Curse, with Nathan Fielder. I've never watched any Nathan for you, so I don't know if that's his whole bit. I feel like it might be. But it's, oh. it's got it's got Emma Stone. Yeah, as well. Please, Emma who Stone. We'll get on to later in Poor Things, but that's that's worth checking out. It's really cringe, but like not in a not in a British cringe way because I really can't watch like the British Office and stuff like that. And, oh, and the Peep it. Show, I know you do. I can't yeah. I can't bring myself to sit through it. Whereas this is like manageable cringe for me. Nathan Fam- for who is that level? <laughs> the of curse, manageable cringe. cringe. Go yeah. watch. <laughs> and of course, I've been. Watching MasterChef as ever. Just thought you'd like to know. It's definitely not cringe. No. No. The professionals, not the not the basics. How many levels anyway? We'll, yeah, let's we'll, not get yeah, into we're that. Getting into celebs too. <laughs> TV is exactly back, what baby. we're here for. <laughs> I also saw the leopard though in actual film news. Oh yeah, Colour by Technicolor. Phenomenal film. I absolutely loved it. Really? Five stars straight out of the bag, you know? Mm. Three wow. hours long, which I, I, I had known and then I'd kind of forgotten and then when I sat down I was like it's starting at 7.30 and then I was like oh it's because it's going to be in three hours Very before long. the film oh my god it's, it's amazing and you can really just see the kind of influence it had on Scorsese as well in terms of when he made Age of Innocence it's that same kind of grand scale historical drama mm. focused on those relationships among the upper classes and how they're kind of changing as the time period kind of eases into modernity and forces them out as it were mm. it's beautiful the ballroom scenes I have not seen such a good ballroom scene ever, and that's including the Phantom Thread one, which is an all-time kind of... You know, when it opens onto that, scene. yeah, New Year's Eve one with the elephant just in the room, inexplicably. This this was even better than that. Wow. Anyway, highly recommend. You can get the Criterion Blu-ray, I think, online, if you missed our screening. The whole Technicolor season, I think, has been a success. I, I went to Matter Life and Death, and that was... What a film. I love you, John. I love you, John, really and good. I'm definitely 27. 
Sorry. My name is David Niven, <laughs> and I am 27. He was. He was no, definitely he, 27. A hundred percent. He was yeah. 36. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why they pretend. Like, it really wouldn't have made any difference to the plot if they just said he was 35 or whatever. It's because he's young and full of <sighs> But he's not. Love. He's got crow's feet. It, not it, that young it, people can't have crow's feet. For me, it's the line of, are you 29? No, I'm 27. And I'm like, okay, okay. Let's <laughs> okay. suspend our something's, disbelief here. Something's... Something's a mess. But it's a great film. Yes, I loved it. I've fallen in love because of your mistake. Well, if it's a respectable place, there must be a law of appeal. It has never been done. I call squadron leader Peter D. Carter. You claim you love her. I do love her. Would you die for him? I would, but uh, I'd rather live. January. January. Yeah. New Year, new films, mm-hmm. some might say. We've got a real um, Japanese slant on our New Year here at Watershed. Um, mm. With Boy and the Heron, the new Studio yes. Ghibli title, which we're playing from 27th of December, so we'll be out by the time this is released. I think I'll be watching it on the first day. Will you? Yeah. Wait, you better get your tickets soon. They are They're, they're literally like flying out the door. Yeah. And we've um, got the dubbed we've got the version. Dub, we've got the subbed. Yeah. I'm quite excited to actually re-watch it in the dubbed I've seen so many of those little clips of Robert Pattinson's unhinged <coughs> heron voice that I really want to see <coughs> the whole thing yeah and oh, and you've already seen the subtitled version haven't you yeah at LFF yeah have you seen it I have not that's one of the ones where I had five days of just concentrated work that <laughs> uh, the boy in the heron was like the day after I'd left basically but oh. As you said, I'm also excited for the Robert Pattinson Heron voice, which isn't really what it's, it's meant haunting. to be excited for. But, you know, that's just where it's where we're that's at. That's where the enthusiasm is at, yeah. It's a beautiful, expansive film. It really runs on that kind of dream logic that runs throughout all the kind of Ghibli films, which can take a while to like ease yourself into mm. when you're coming to it from like a more Western narrative mm-hmm. expectation of there being like cause and effect and here it's like that that's out the window nice <laughs> he's into the dream Love and that. it's definitely um, it's definitely the last Miyazaki yeah well definitely yeah, yeah. 100% definitely yeah, oh, you yeah. can't see my scare quotes because this is audio I've just realised I'm doing the oh what inverted commas yeah, yeah. sarcastic retirement commas. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Go, no matter what ready See this world? There's more work to be done. A gray heron once told me that all gray herons are liars. So is that the truth or a lie? A truth! But yeah, between that and then we are throughout Sundays, we're <laughs> Turning to Ozu. Well, you love that pun, don't you? Yeah, I was just going to call it Ozu Sundays, you know, does what it says on the tin. But then Claire from our comms team was like, how about return to Ozu? I think she meant it as a joke, but I was like, no, I love a good pun. But um, it took me a moment to realise that it was a pun. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's also, it fits because it is kind of a return to Ozu in terms of uh, we're playing four films of his starting you know, in chronological order from Tokyo Story onwards, and they were all released within the last 10 years of his life. So it's very much that like late period Ozu, which 
which you can return to. <laughs> um, and the the Tokyo story is was restored last year by the BF and by the BFI in beautiful 4K. Um, mm. We've even got a nice quad poster. Yeah, it's coming. It's on the way, and we've we're going to be trailering it as well, uh, which is also very special for, for all of the rep titles is to have a trailer to play in yeah. the cinemas. Um, I'm really excited to see it because I think I read it was a French book called like The Badger or something like that, and mm. it's about a what what do you call it? Someone who like looks after the door and does all like the housekeeping of like a flat or something like that. Doorman. Yeah, or something like that. And uh, she has a very, like, rich internal life. And she always says, like, oh, I love Ozu, all these Ozu films um, Mm -hmm. I'm into. Mm -hmm. And that's the only reason why I know about Ozu. Ozu? Never. Never. Look look at this. So I think. Yeah, I think I'm going to. We've got Tokyo Story on the 7th. Yeah. Followed by Late Autumn Mm -hmm. from 1960 on the 14th. Then Good Morning from 1959. And An Autumn Afternoon, one of his last films. I just really like the title names, like they're just so oh, like gorgeous. You gentle. just go through though, and they've all, you know, it's they've either got season or the word Tokyo in the title for about eighty percent of his films. But I'm like, the man knew what he was about. <laughs> I was thinking it would be really nice to do like a seasons of Ozu one, and just uh, what, have like, all of the kind of like autumn, spring, seasons. yeah, because he's mm-hmm. got so many like that. But um, unfortunately, you're a little restricted by what's available and what you can get rights and materials for. Oh, okay. He's got such an expansive filmography that the availability of it all is a little hard to hard to figure out at times. Mm. But we're really pleased to be bringing those four back for your your New Year watching. And alongside that, we've also got the jumping ahead a bit to Feb, but to continue the Japanese theme, we've got the Japan Foundation Touring Film mm-hmm. Program returning to our screens in February. Mm-hmm. Um, those will be playing mainly on Wednesdays and Saturdays. Although I have put film that has Monday in the title on on a Monday mm. just because it makes sense it fits schedule wise yeah. and yeah. then it fit name wise from a comms perspective <laughs> I can work with that beautiful <laughs> the full list of titles and uh, synopses will be available on the website soon yes and also at the end of Feb is the release of Finn Vendors's new dramatic narrative film Perfect Days the toilet which, yeah, film was loved at Cannes last year is it um, a toilet film or is it, it a cleaner uh, film? Yeah, I think calling it a toilet film <laughs> might be a bit of a brutal labelling for it. It, it. it is about a Tokyo-based toilet cleaning man, yes. I think informally in the office it's been We, we have been calling it the, the toilet, toilet film, film yes. But it's because we're obsessed with our new gender-neutral <sighs> toilets, which... Did you are, know? Did, did, you know? did you know? Surprise, surprise. Which are coming up to its year, one-year birthday. Wow. Oh, happy birthday. Right? Mm. Incredible. Yeah. But I still remember us cracking open the Prosecco in the uh, oh, yeah. no, toilets for there. the launch. That was a bizarre moment. <laughs> it does not feel like the right place to be drinking wine in. Anyway. But maybe that's it's also, sorry, maybe that's also where you can advertise the film. You can start yeah, putting like, yeah. some posters in there as well. Thank you. Thank you very <laughs> much. I'll, take, I'll be taking that idea. Thank you, Nathan. <laughs> no nice problem. stills up on the back of the door. Oh, perfect. But yeah, well, we're even, I think, getting a nice poster for all of our mm. Japanese cinema coming to, to Watershed yes. over those couple months. But to turn to the rest of January, I hate to go chronologically, but it feels like it makes sense, you know? What's coming up? The thing start? about dates is they tend to be in a <laughs> certain order. They tend to come one after the other. Mm. We've got Priscilla, which we briefly mentioned at the end of, I think, our last podcast, mm-hmm. um, which is the new film from Sofia Coppola. It previews here from the 27th and we're playing it exclusively from a new 35 millimeter print from the 27th until the 4th 
So if you would like to see it on film, then catch it soon. Because yep. after that date, we'll just be playing it from the digital DCP. Can we officially say that we're the only place oh, in the yeah. southwest? Yeah, we're the only place in the southwest mil. showing it on 35 mil, and we'll be the only place in the southwest showing it from the 27th until the 1st of Jan because that period is exclusive for print shows. Yes, big deal. It's a beautiful, beautiful film. I think I spoke about it a bit before, but it's um, it's based on the memoir Elvis and Me by Priscilla Presley, and it's a really like humanistic portrait of her as a young woman and how their kind of relationship sprung up, I guess. Mm. They meet in like a a, a US army base in 1959 in Germany and kind of bond through their mutual homesickness for America. Mm. And it kind of looks at then the complicity of her parents too in allowing this relationship to kind of take form. Mm. But it also then dives into how much Elvis is kind of a child himself, even though he's you know, in his 20s and, and has found fame. He's a really kind of childlike character in a lot of ways. Uh, and even in terms of how he kind of builds his, his kingdom, as it were, in Graceland, which then becomes a kind of prison almost for her. Mm. It's it's kind of a really dark, twisted fairy tale almost. Um, in, tr- in traditional <laughs> Sophia Coppola fashion. And there are no Elvis tracks because it wasn't approved by the estate, the film, unsurprisingly. <laughs> if you didn't like Baz Luhrmann's Elvis... You'll love Yeah, or if you refuse to watch Baz Luhrmann's Elvis, then you'll love Priscilla. I feel like it would make a really good double bill. Like, watch one Mm. half. It's definitely like the dark side of the coin to to that film. It kind of shows what's beneath the surface. I think the New Yorker in their um, article headline said that it presents the echoing void of Elvis, which I thought was a really lovely way of putting it. Especially without, like, any of his music in there. It really strips him of the thing that provides his, his... you know his personality, his his status, his public image isn't there in the film, yeah. and it does feel like that gaping kind of hole. Yeah. Um, and Kaylee Spaney, I think I'm pronouncing that right, does an amazing job as Priscilla. Mm. It's a phenomenal bit of acting, um, and she plays like a kind of unsure young girl so well that you like forget that she's like 25. You know, she she plays a remarkably convincing 14 year old, and it, yeah, it's just a kind of fascinating study of this figure of pop culture. But yes, do go see it. I thought it was beautiful and haunting. Black hair and more eye makeup. I don't know if I like it. What do you mean you don't know if you like it? He's not like you imagine. You know, there's a lot of rumors about you. Was there something you're hiding? I need a woman who understands that things like this might happen. Are you going to be here or not? I I also want to see it. I can imagine it's very claustrophobic. I watched The Virgin Suicides here at Cinema Rediscovered. And so that kind of teenage willpower to kind of overcome that like adversity, but also being like entrapped and uh, speaking with Mark uh, on his trip around America when he went to Graceland he said mm. about how kind of small it was for what was meant to be like a mansion mm. it's like being trapped in there whilst your partner is going around America yeah, doing tours kept and kept at home like a weird pet yeah. behind those uh, playful gates you know with the <laughs> Musical gates. notes kind of yeah. Yeah. well you know all of the the decor at Graceland is so kind of not quite tacky, but but like 
bluesy rock and roll inspired. It, yeah, and like he's you know got rugs of himself on the floor. You know, it's a real like ego trip of a of a house, <laughs> and then to be trapped in there while that person is away and just be surrounded by <laughs> kind of icons of themselves is is a bizarre state of affairs. Steph, I'm to, just wondering when you're gonna like release your like <laughs> exclusive Christ, thanks, rugs Steph. with your face on. Ego's <laughs> not got that big just <laughs> But yeah, do catch that. It's it's a lovely, beautiful film. From the first as well, we're just showing it from the first to the fourth, is Queendom. It's a, a kind of observational documentary, um, from Agnia Galdanova, I'm gonna say. My Russian isn't up to scratch, but that's my attempt. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's focused on Gina Marvin, who's a radical queer performance artist. And she's kind of raised in eastern remote town in, in Russia and gains quite a wide following on TikTok mm-hmm. for her performance kind of work. She's kind of a drag artist. She then moves to Moscow to study, but gets thrown out of college for her kind of political protests because her, her art is very political yeah. you know she she dresses up in quite provocative outfits not just you know in terms of like wearing little but as in like statements on russia mm. within her outfits like mm. she will walk out dressed in like barbed wire or right. like incorporating the colors of the russian flag in a way that's not allowed yeah so it looks at that and her, her kind of practice as it were but then also her relationship with her grandparents because she's an orphan so she's raised by them and she's got quite a kind of explosive testy relationship with her grandfather mm. who feels kind of alienated from her identity and that she keeps putting herself in harm's way or mm-hmm. getting into trouble as it were but it's it's a really interesting look at kind of the ways that people are challenging the kind of machismo of the Putin regime and the kind of models of masculinity up, it upholds mm. and the Russian state's kind of homophobic attitudes. Mm. But yeah, she's a, she's an amazing kind of force of nature at the heart of the documentary. Mm. Um, like the clips of like her looks look. It's incredible. amazing. They're like they're like Giacometti works or something. It's mm. but the way she like get get just like goes onto like the metro. Yeah, those looks and like I may or may not do drag on the side, but like uh, getting into drag like in public, mm. wherever you are, is quite like a. It's a bold statement, and it is also quite vulnerable because you're putting yourself up mm. for kind of being stared at and being yeah. pointed at. And I don't know how she does that, just like getting on the metro in Russia. It's phenomenal in front of you know in the, in the broad daylight yeah. in front of everyone, and, yeah. and like that. The film kind of looks at that as in like um, unpacks the toll that takes on her as well in terms mm. of like how, how she copes with the ways that people respond to her mm-hmm. um, and finds the energy to kind of keep going with her art. It's a really fascinating documentary and we're only showing it for those four days so do turn out. Hung over on the first of Jan if you would like to. Woo-hoo. Or on the second when you've slightly recovered. Whatever plans do you have. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. It's the first of January. You had it booked off, so you might as well yeah. turn yeah. up. Yeah, come for a coffee. I'll see her wear platform yeah. boots, body paint. Yes. Walking the streets of Moscow. Yes. In silent protest. Потому что ваш вид явно вызывающий и деструктивный. Он может вызвать ЧП. А что с Шейном? Что у него было переломано? 
Quiet. The quick pee. From the twelfth. From the twelfth. <laughs> we have. I'm going to get to poor things in a oh, moment because okay. okay. we've got two from the twelfth oh. uh, that I wanted to mention. But we're also screening um, Scala. Should I say Scala? Because it's got Scala, three exclamation, exclamation marks. marks. Three. Okay. I believe. All right. oh, it's actually got a subtitle as well. So it's Scala, or. <laughs> The incredibly strange rise and fall of the world's wildest cinema and how it influenced a mixed up generation of weirdos and misfits. Full stop. I'm very excited to see this. Mm. Because we in, love a bit of the Scala. We've well, got a big book in the office. I didn't know anything about the Scala. We have this massive book okay. in W five where it's just a it's a compilation of all of their programmes. Yeah, it's like a kind of written archive as it were. Yeah. But that makes it sound less interesting than it is because it's so much a visual-led book. It's amazing. It's, it's yeah. I mean, like what what I like is like page by page. It's like their monthly. This is what they were showing this month, but also like how they were doing the graphic design during that time. And it's very like cut and paste and very like it's like collaging almost. Yeah. And they've got like a each month they had like a calendar mm-hmm. as the poster almost with mm. with the films on each day um, in quite wacky visual styles. And of course, their programming was pretty wild as well so the doc kind of looks at the the you know dr- during the post-punk thatchy years the the cinema offered a kind of community refuge um with a program that ranged from like uh, established classics you know the kind that we might trot out yeah i was gonna say maybe this sounds like <laughs> um, inspiration <laughs> but also offbeat cult hits sexploitation horror kung fu LGBTQ titles that kind of weren't widely screened at the time. And the, the doc just like dives into the, the, the impact that it had on mm. everyone who visited as well. So it's a ridiculous kind of cast list of talking heads that they've got, you know, oh. from like Edgar Wright to Jarvis Cocker, I think, and those arty types. <laughs> Not the arty types. Not the oh arty God. types. But it's a really interesting kind of time capsule of both the cinema and, and what that kind of watching environment meant to those people as yeah. well like it was more than a cinema it was well it, it was, was like a cultural hub it was a way of meeting people dodgy things went on as well well wasn't it which, like an old zoo or something like before i don't know it got taken remember. over it was it, something like it's that had several lives that building for sure because yeah. i mean even now after the cinema shut it's uh it's a venue right i think i've been seeing bands play at scala oh cool keeping on yeah. keeping on going yeah. in one form or another just not as a cinema no, but still a cultural but the, hub. Um, by the sounds yeah. yeah, and the, the BFI are doing a kind of massive season on it in January in terms of screening a lot of the films that they screened at the Scala. At oh, the time cool! To accompany the release of the documentary. Awesome. Um, so maybe have a trip up to London too, but we will be showing the doc here from the twelfth. And it blew my mind. Which is a good way to see movies. Didn't go there just in case you might trip over somebody having a shag on the carpet. I don't see there's any harm in it at all. I said I think I have a dead body in my office. That's what it felt like. Can you dig it? You don't get that um, in a multiplex. <laughs> um, also on the twelfth, poor things. Poor things. Oh, everyone's looking at me. Only one yeah. of us has seen it, but we're very much looking forward to it. You watched it at LFF, right? Uh, actually, I didn't. No, I, you watched it at I watched bath. it at Film Bath 
festival. Yeah, one of those where Poor Things was on the last day of LFF. Mm. So I was like, okay, gutted. I guess I'll miss it. And then I uh, managed to get an ambassador role with Film Bath and watched it on the opening day as part of a double bill with The Bike Riders, another film that no mm. one else has seen that I happen to have watched twice now. It still hasn't got a release date. It still doesn't have a release date, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Poor Things is an incredible, weird film from the mind of Yorgos Lanthimos. It's his like fifth or sixth yeah. feature, I believe. After the favorite. Last yeah. Time. And with the favorite, it really builds upon that as another period drama, as another Emma Stone collaboration, another Tony McNamara screenplay written film based off of Alistair Gray's novel of the same film and we follow emma stone's character bella baxter she's been recently resurrected in the opening shot you see a woman kind of jumping into a river and then bella baxter appears and she doesn't yes reanimated (laughs) yeah not the same as reanimator but in the same vein as willem dafoe plays godwin baxter a like scientist who has been deemed mad but is also like teaching lectures which is where he finds Rami Youssef's character Max McCandles um, who he asks for assistance to help Emma Stone, Bella Baxter become you know a a real person you know like uh, her development still isn't fully there still kind of a lot of childlike speech kind of throwing food a lot uh, around you know toddler's brain and a young woman's body yes and then um she wants to go outside she's been kind of kept in for like you know for her protection but she wants to go and travel the world which is where mark ruffalo's character duncan wedderburn uh he is what i would describe as a a lothario just a, a character who he he has this way of like uh being completely impulsive and seductive and he manages to seduce Bella Baxter's character out of her room and explore the world and this is where she develops and becomes well you'll find out I guess when you watch the film but um yeah a very weird black comedy coming of age tale uh from a a feminist perspective even though it is directed by Yorgos Lanthimos it's very hard to kind of pinpoint down this film apart from like that description Mm. because I feel it's always going to be that weird off-kilter humour. If you've watched his previous stuff, you'll mm. really enjoy it. But I also feel like it has a strong emotional core. And uh, I think a lot of women will definitely relate to this film of how patriarchal society has kind of said, put all these restraints and contradictions on their lives, how mm. they behave, how they interact. And this unbiased viewer who's kind of come into the world completely new, but in the form of a mid-twenties woman, points them all out and says, oh, you want me to behave like this? Okay, I'll behave like this. But what happens when it goes to this level? You don't actually want me to behave here. Mm. And so it's all of these... Unpacks like societal expectations of behaviour, I guess. Exactly. Oh, I love that. Mm. I love that. Yeah, that sounds great. And I mean, I got told off for having it in my top five, but uh, maybe yeah, in my yeah. top five for next year. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Early entry for twenty twenty four. Oh, she's an experiment. Good evening. Her brain and her body are not quite synchronized. I am Bella Baxter, 
and there is a world to enjoy, circumnavigate. It is the goal of all to progress, grow. A woman plotting her course to freedom. How delightful. Yeah, so that's playing from the 12th. Um, on 35mm as well. Oh. Two prints in Jan. Um, we'll be playing that one in the evenings from the 12th. Mm-hmm. Um, so do catch that. We'll have it on for at least a few weeks, the print. I think Hang the on print. To that, like Oppenheimer. And this, yeah. yeah, I mean, it was shot on film as well. With the 35mm print, I think it will really help with the the colour grading. There's a mm. lot of. It starts off as very grayscale, and then as things progress. It like gets quite they, rich and colourful, exactly. right? I mean, even in the like sight and sound feature they had on it like ooh, a month or two back where they were kind of looking at more of the production side of it, they mm. had some stills from mm-hmm. the more kind of when it starts getting all weird mystical adventure yeah. um, in the film and there's these beautiful kind of like purple skies. And I mean, you, you see a lot of these shots in the trailer. They're yeah. so full of bright, vivid colours um, that I think it's going to be a joy to see on the screen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of that technicolor season mm. that we've just gone through of how with a matter of life and death it changes between grayscale mm. and color and it kind of uses those similar techniques as well with um the set pieces they it, you know it starts off like this like a it, they used a miniature set to get these like grand buildings to show different like class levels and stuff like that so it um uses all of those old techniques fish-eye lenses mm. and combines it with a weird soundtrack by uh, Jerskin Fendrix of Black Midi and Black Country New Road. Oh, in I didn't the, know uh, that. Yeah, he's oh, playing a violin, which is like off kilter and, you know, really matches the tone, essentially. And uh, yeah, it all combines into this film, which should never really work, mm. but means that it, it works in the best way possible. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Well, I mean, but also, like, because it got pushed from August? October, I think. October, yeah, because of the strike. Yeah, yeah, October. So quite a quite a gap in that release calendar. Yeah, so we've been trailering it for a very long time. (laughs) You all best be ready. Mm -hmm. On the 15th, we're previewing Your Fat Friend. Yes. uh, Award-winning documentary filmmaker Jeannie Finlay. Um, He made, like, Seahorse and Sound It Out returns with um, this documentary following the journey of writer and activist Aubrey Gordon. Um, he went from being an anonymous blogger, kind of sharing her experiences online of navigating life as a fat person, to becoming a New York Times bestselling author and renowned podcast host, saying that on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, you know, kind of beautifully frank portrait of Gordon, who's very funny but also inspiring um, and kind of issues this uh, empathetic call for us to rethink our relationships and attitudes to, to our own bodies, but also the word that fat and how things are labelled in society as one thing or the other. Mm. And also just, you know, obviously the sham of diet culture and yeah. all of this. Uh, you've seen it too. And you know yeah, that. it kind of works as well with poor things as a kind mm. of double bill alongside, um, I watched it with... I watched How to Have Sex yes, uh, beforehand. So I watched that one and then uh, Your Fat Friend. And essentially, they're all like these three films are like pointing out kind of contemporary societal norms and going like, isn't this ridiculous? Like, mm. how can you how can you uh, address someone in such a way where if you were to say, oh, 
you can either frame it in like a positive way, like, oh, I'm plus sized or chubby, or in another way of calling someone overweight, as if like the term overweight implies that there's a there's an, a, ideal an ideal way, way. Mm. Yeah. like as if that exists when you know every single person is kind of unique and different heights and different environments and backgrounds and and that your body is something that changes as you age and exactly. life and uh, <laughs> that's kind of unavoidable and yeah. why should we be kind of misaligning that or? and she really um dissects like not only these like contemporary societal norms but also very knowledgeable on topics like BMI mm. being like a total myth. Like it's something that was entirely based on like white men's bodies. And so if you right. aren't, if you don't fit in with that, then you are somewhere on the BMI scale of overweight, obese or underweight. And it's mm. like, well, what if you're not a white man? And you're like, well, yeah. I guess I, I guess I'm like on the BMI, I'm overweight. So yeah, very knowledgeable and funny and interesting. And uh, I guess, from a blogger's perspective, as someone who writes and spends time online, also interesting how they've managed to find that niche from their own expe uh, experiences and then being able to grow from out of that to become an author. So mm. inspiring in that respect as well. Just say fat, not curvy or chubby or chunky or fluffy or more to love or big guy big or husky or obese or overweight. Just say fat. The very first piece was called A Request From Your Fat Friend. And like 30,000 people read it in a week. And I was like, whoa, okay. My aim is to provoke people to question ideas that we've held on to for so long. This is like big tobacco levels of just lying to people. It's like they're trying to pull some Jedi mind trick. It's not a diet. <laughs> At the tender age of 11, I had already attended kids' fat day camps. It is a real paradigm shift to look at someone my size and rather than thinking, boy, I wish that person would put in some effort, thinking, that person may have put in a great deal of effort. And that might have been what got them here. And um, Jeannie, the director, and, and Aubrey will both be here in person for the preview for a Q&A which will be hosted by writer Naomi Alderman. Um, just an exciting panel. Really mm. looking forward to it. We might add a second show, potentially. Yeah. Well, yeah, this one's Watch like nearly space. sold out, yeah. isn't it? Should be a great evening. It um, previews here on the 15th of Jan and then opens properly from the 9th of Feb. So if you miss the previews around, then do catch it on its release next month. Also on the Q&A front, on the 17th of Jan, we're going to be holding a one-off fundraiser Q&A screening of The Old Oak. Mm -hmm. We're bringing it back for one night only. We'll be joined by Ken Loach, hopefully health permitting, for a Q&A. All proceeds will be going to the Bristol City of Sanctuary Transport Fund, which offers free bus tickets to asylum seekers and is supported by match funding from First Bus. So if somehow you managed to miss his film on its initial release mm. last year, then do catch this opportunity to either watch it for the first time or see it again and hear him in conversation. He's a really great speaker in terms of articulating his intentions, especially his filmmaking process. Mm. Um, because it's quite unique and specific in, in how he approaches working with kind of different community groups as well. Jan 19th, we're opening The Holdovers. Yes. Which, unfortunately, I really feel like it should have been released 
pre pre Christmas. It is. It's a Christmas very much film. a Christmas film. It is a Christmas film. But it was one of those that got pushed a little bit back because of the the strikes, and they're very much hoping for kind of some awards energy around Paul Giamatti's performance in it. He plays the central role, so understandably they kind of pushed it back until they could be mm. more more sure that he'd be free to be doing his uh, interview rounds on the American chat shows and all of that. So it was released here, yeah, in Jan on the 19th. It, it kind of, well, the plot is loosely that the, the students of a, a New England prep school in America, Barton Academy, depart for their winter holidays. But then there's a few who get left behind mm. and they're forced to stay over the over the break. And their appointed babysitter, as it were, or guardian, is is the slightly moody, miserly Professor Hunnam, played by Paul Giamatti. But the days pass and he kind of starts to form an unexpected bond with one of the students um, and Mary, the school's cook, who also stays over the holidays and is kind of in a period of grief. You just earned yourself a detention, sir. Being here with you is already one big detention. Son of a bitch, that's another detention. Do you think I want to be babysitting you? No, I was praying your mother would pick up the phone or your father would arrive in a helicopter or a flying saucer. My father's dead. You don't tell a boy that's been left behind at Christmas that nobody wants him? What's wrong with you? There's nobody here, okay? You stay out of my way, and I'll stay out of yours. Let me sleep in the Now, most of the kids dislike you, pretty much hate you. Teachers, too. You know that, right? I find the world a bitter and complicated place, and it seems to feel the same way about me. I think you and I have this in common. I don't think I've ever had a real family Christmas like this before. Thank you, Mary. You're welcome. It comes from director Alexander Payne, and he's reunited with Paul Giamatti here in a very, I thought, quite playful film. Yeah. It is a comedy. It, it, yeah. It's just quite a quite a heartfelt, dramatic comedy. You you look less sure. Well, well, here's <laughs> We the watched thing. it together. Yeah. It was very late on in the day. Uh, th- th- this is unfortunately what counts against it is because it just so happened that... I think we were watching it on day two of screening days. Okay. At that point, I had watched like five or six films. Which in- is too many films. Including All of Us Strangers, which I'm sure we will talk Bridge. about a little later. <laughs> but basically from then on, I, I couldn't you quite find it. Yeah, I had kind of <laughs> checked out. So I can't really trust my opinion on holdovers. <laughs> but it, it, it was a it's well- very warm-hearted. film. It's thoughtful, very humanistic um, and it's it's a pretty impressive performance from the the kid, yeah, Dominic uh, Dominic Sessa, and I believe it's his go. first like his breakout it, role. Yeah, it's his yeah. first role. So I haven't watched the whole Doofus, but mm. it does sound based on what you were saying. It does sound like Sideways, which is Alexander Payne and Paul mm. Giamatti's 2004 feature, where it's like it is a comedy, but it's also not a comedy. Mm. Like there's a lot of like talk about. Well, and that film is about depression and That's kind also of featured here, yeah, yeah. <laughs> trying to put yourself back out there essentially and, yes um, We've got recurring themes <laughs> oh okay so yeah, yeah so it sounds like you know it's not going to be like a, a laugh a minute romp but no. it's as you say heartfelt and kind of gets those get those feelings out there which is also why mm. i can understand watching after all of us strangers you kind of just spent yeah emotionally yeah. Shall, shall we turn to all of us strangers? Shall we? Yes. yes. Released from the 26th, mm. so at the end of the month. Andrew Scott plays Adam, and he is a lonely 30, 40-something 
in a new build London flat and he's kind of very reflecting on his life and kind of the fact that he uh you know came from suburban London yeah. into this into the city center and then he meets Paul Mescal's character who is called um Harry Harry <laughs> <laughs> and uh from then on they kind of cultivate like a possible romance it becomes or more intimate it becomes more <laughs> intimate but also on uh what was it adam reflecting on his life he goes back to the suburbs and he finds some people who something look, he might not expect yes but something that takes him back yeah a couple decades mm. um it's got quite a kind of magical realist edge to it, it a bit dreamlike. it's like petite maman it is. Do you know what I mean? Where it's like you just it's go normal. with it. The excellent Celine Sciamma film from mm. a few years back. If you've not seen that, do. Um, mm. That was just a side note. Um, but yeah, no, it does have the similar kind of edge of, of revisiting a you know old childhood family home and finding something quite strange and beautiful in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Though it kind of t- tests the boundaries of uh, realism <laughs> yeah. somewhat. It's hard to talk about because you never know really like what the boundary is or where yeah. like the line is. And whether it's within his own head and, yeah. and you know, consciousness or, or whether that is something made physical. We're, we're really speaking around it, aren't we? It's hard to talk about without... Yeah. I think it's up for interpretation. And ultimately in the film, I don't think it necessarily matters. Exactly. Whether, whether it does happen or whether it doesn't happen because I think it's just like thematically thematically as a queer person it's it's something that you kind of go through you kind of like look back and you kind of hope for you know the expectations of your life um and then the reality that you actually face with your life and kind of the you know the nostalgic optimism that you might have had at the time what if it was like this what if it was like that Mm. and also just like i i think probably the thing that kind of like hit home to me is like the pain that one goes through as a queer person and the the internalized pain that you take on from like society's expectations and mm. you know being a, a possible like disappointment or when you're younger not really understanding why people don't resonate with you or don't get you and then that sticks with you for so long and then you re- and then when you try and reach out for that love you realize that you're all kind of going through that same pain mm. together yeah. Which is something that's really clear, yeah. I think, in how it's resonating. There were so many people sobbing coming out of that screening. Yeah. I, uh, well, I, I should not have seen the next film, like, afterwards, because I was like, I, I needed to find you, like, after that screening. Walk. I was like, I, had need, a hug and a walk. I, need hug, I need to hug someone. Like, it was very, very moving. And I think because I, I think I was dealing with si- similar, like, reflections in my personal life as well. Mm. So that's why it very, very, like, hit home to me at the time. Yeah, really, really bring tissues. It yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. It was my last film of London Film Festival. Uh, and I was sat between two two women. Uh, and one of them was crying alongside me, of course. Yeah. And uh, someone then passed tissues down, you know. <laughs> it, was, so sweet. it was very much a collective experience that we'd kind of all gone through. And uh, just to like add on to what you said, it, it, it's, a, it's a two hour therapy session. I think this mm. film is rather than <laughs> like I think that's fair to say yeah, yeah. it's it, in the same way that um, the character Adam is a screenwriter and is kind of struggling to convey his feelings and much like trying to create art with this like 
therapy session is reconnecting with the past alongside with where you are in the present uh, and being able to um, really just express yourself in such a way that it's open and honest which he hadn't this character hadn't been able to do previously because mm. they just weren't ready or they weren't in that situation and it's imagine if you were able to go into your past and say what you wanted to say mm. Mm. and then also then free yourself to then be it's able to express like yourself emotionally mm. i think that's the key i think catharsisism is the that's how you're meant to feel at the end even though at the end emotionally destroyed but it's a cathartic yeah experience. but i i think it's also the reality of like the expectations of kind of like oh you know what if in this ideal scenario i could tell this person this but the but the kind of semi reality is like it probably you won't get that no. Necess- you won't necessarily get that catharsism if the ideal circumstance had kind of presented itself exactly to you at the time yeah yeah a, a lot of closure essentially from in the future looking to the past mm. and uh as you say it, the reason why it didn't happen at that time is because you weren't ready or they weren't ready or you didn't even know how you were feeling so yeah. that's and that is essentially the practice of therapy of like everything happens at the right time uh or it happens now because this is when you have the capacity to do it and if you can feel that from one movie then um it's probably worth watching I've always felt like a stranger in my own family. I'm always scared of something. Always running away. Do you remember? Sorry I never came in your room when you were crying. It's funny, it doesn't take much to make you feel the way you felt back there again. I'd always fall down. This is a new feeling. You and me together into the world. Brilliant performances from um, Andrew Scott and Paul Mescal, both. Yeah. And as well, well mean, like we everyone. haven't really mentioned them, but Jamie Bell and Claire Foy as well, yeah. um, who play a couple in this film, and they're kind of responsible for delivering some of the kind of more striking emotional notes. I think I do agree that like people will come for Scott and Mescal, but I stayed for Foy and Bell. You'd have stayed for Mescal anyway, stayed for <laughs> Bell, but like what? Okay, what stayed with me about mm. that is these yeah. parents, like that presence essentially of uh their performances which you know there's a lot of really strong supporting cast roles in mm. all of these films which is going to make awards categories very hard i would not be like upset if either of them won i would say for supporting cast they might were... even be quite happy <laughs> mm. 
Well, um, Charles Melton. Yes, for May, May December. December. He's the supporting actor. Never have I seen cast. a middle aged well, not middle aged, but a 20 something man yeah. look so much like a 13 year old boy in his posture. Yeah. Anyway. Sorry, that's, that's, that's a, going back that, to full circle, yeah. but uh, yeah. <laughs> but no, this film is beautiful. Um, Andrew Hayes' script is so tight here, and it's yet another portrait from him um, of like the kind of delicate nature of relationships mm. following on from weekend and 45 years. And he'll be out here from the 26th. Yes. So do come see it. Also out on the 26th, and the kind of final note is um, a new film from Lo- Lois Patino. Patino. I need to sort my Spanish pronunciations out. Si, si. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, it's called Samsara. Arguably more a kind of collective meditation or um, s- cinematic, ex- cinematic experience of reincarnation than a film. Well, you just get to miss out on the flashing lights, apparently. I loved it. Um, <laughs> you kind of start by observing the daily rituals of a Buddhist temple. And uh, and then uh, you move to like a seaweed farm in Zanzibar afterwards, and it's all captured on sixteen millimeter, and it kind of takes you on the spiritual journey from like the end of this old woman's life as you watch uh, this her, her kind of her younger relation read to her from scripture, and then she passes away, and you I don't know, big spoilers, but there's a beautiful twenty minute sequence in the middle of a lot of flashing lights. Which I'm personally a big fan of. <laughs> if a film flashes some lights at me that might cause an epileptic fit in someone else, I'm very happy. And it's also just a beautiful way of um, kind of visually evoking um, the kind of spiritual passage of a soul from, or not a soul rather, because it's Buddhist, but um, that kind of cycle of reincarnation um, implied by the title Samsara. It's, it's stunning. It's transcendental. I loved it. It sounds very therapeutic as well. Definitely yeah. want to see in the cinema. Yeah. I just I was watching it on my laptop, the screener, and I was just like, this feels such a pain to be like watching it in this form for the first time. They showed it on the IMAX at LFF, mm. and I will forever be sad that I was not there. Alas, I come see regret, it here. But you can, yeah, you can make up for it now. Yeah. No, it's not quite the same size as the IMAX, but we're working on it. We're a bit confined by the uh, shape and size of a Victorian warehouse. <laughs> My last note for January is just we've got a little bit of a Werner Herzog um, sidebar running mm, throughout the month. Yeah. Um, there's a new documentary on the... I'm going to call him an auteur. <laughs> nice. Okay. On. I back it, I back <laughs> Thank it. you. Um, out from the 19th called Werner Herzog Radical Dreamer. Um, it's got kind of exclusive behind the scenes access into both Herzog's kind of everyday life, but also um, rare archive material from when he was shooting a lot of his earlier works, um, as well as in-depth interviews with the, the man himself and his collaborators, including quite the, quite the roster of names that they've got here, including like Robert Pattinson, Patti Smith, Vin Vendors, Chloe Zhao. Um, and it's just, yeah, a beautiful kind of stepping back and looking at his massive influence um, over, you know, documentary filmmaking, narrative film, and as an actor as well. You know, obviously, 
we had that role in the Mandalorian as well to bring it back to TV. Pedro Pascal. No, Ben Herzog. He plays the old. I didn't watch it. I'm, I didn't watch I'm it. I'm sorry. When it comes, I really to regretted watching it. But you're not into TV, so I'm not know. into TV. Anyway, that's completely beside the point. It's a it's a great new doc out from the 19th, and then around that time we'll also be screening um, the re-release of the Enigma of Caspar Hauser, Herzog's um, early dramatic narrative fiction feature. It's his 50th anniversary this year somehow, which is astounding. And I hadn't watched it until a few weeks back for the first time, and whew, what a film! What a film. <laughs> Come see it in the cinema. And also, we are screening Into the Inferno, um, a documentary directed by Herzog, on the 5th of Jan at the start of the month, as part of a kind of collaboration with the University of Bristol Volcanology Department, mm-hmm. hosting a major kind of gathering and conference. That's January. That's January. Wow, what a January. Yeah. Oh, God, all that in just one month. How is it possible? I know. How is it possible? How is it How possible? Is the program? How is it possible? <laughs> so we're just staring at each other with wide eyes. Ah, another month. Another month. Thank you so much for both being here. I really and enjoyed coming it. And chatting film. Yeah. yeah. That was a really lovely, lovely discussion. Um, especially all of us strangers. God, go see it, people. Oh, you have to see it. Yeah. I, I, I was already, like, tearing up. <laughs> I know, I can feel you going <laughs> That's it for this month. We'll be back with the February podcast next month. Thank you for tuning in and thank you very thank much you, for coming, Nathan. Nathan. It's been a real honour and hopefully yeah, I might come back again. Yeah, give it a few months. <laughs> and thank you, producer Bernie. Oh, as, as always. always. Thank you. Merci, Bernie.